I will say that this is, you know, of all the promises that have ever been made, we are the closest I think we have ever been to that, that Holy Braille. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. When 2020 hit, many of us felt overwhelmed by the public health crisis and turned our attention to health and safety and did our best to maintain education. In post-pandemic times, I feel more excited about furthering our work and innovating on behalf of students. However, my own agenda is minuscule compared to the work being discussed today. Karen Anderson from NFB, Peter Tusick from HumanWare, and Greg Stilson from APH bring us news about new technology called the Monarch. I may be more inspired, but they really came out of the pandemic swinging. My name is Karen Anderson. I'm the Education Programs Coordinator for the National Federation of the Blind. The Federation is really passionate about Braille education and about getting more Braille under the hands of blind kids in particular. And so we are partnering with APH and HumanWare to make the monarch happen. And so I have gotten to have some input in terms of the educational aspects of this and how students can possibly use it in the classroom and as a Braille user myself. All right, Greg, you want to go next? Yep. Hi, I'm Greg Stilson. I run the Global Technology Innovation Team at the American Printing House for the Blind, and I am one of the co-project leads of this monarch project. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Emily. I am Peter Tusick. I am the Director of Strategic Partnerships here at HumanWare, and I am heavily involved just as a, a Braille reader and as a, as a user of all of our technology, but involved with, with the product management side and kind of that leadership piece in assessing and making sure that ourselves in HumanWare, um, in, in our kind of developing of the hardware and the software, that all of that is running as smoothly as possible. All right. Now, who wants to try to explain what the Monarch is and what it does? So, so Monarch, uh, the newly named Monarch, I will say, um, previously the dynamic tactile device, and this is why they don't let me name products because the dynamic tactile device doesn't really roll off somebody's tongue. It, it back in 2014, 2015, I want to say, APH um, worked to develop a tactile display. And basically what this was was uh, a display that could render a graphic with equidistant pins. And it essentially worked as a tactile monitor, if you will. We designed this, it was called the Graffiti, and it was received really well because it was really the first of its kind. Nobody had ever done something like this before. But as we got through field testing and got it actually in the hands of real users, we learned that a tactile display with little to no context didn't do a blind person a lot of good in the real world. And when I say no context, because the pins were larger than average braille dots, they weren't spaced properly, we weren't able to actually put braille labels and give braille context to a graphic. And so we could do some of that with audio, but it was, it was not it was not sufficient. And so APH worked on this for, I want to say, four or five years. And we ended up shelving the project. And we said, we need to come back to this when technology has advanced enough that we can actually do what everybody called sort of the holy, holy braille. And that was a tactile surface that could do both tactile graphics and standard braille on the same surface. And that's, that's, that's really where we are today. Back in 2020, APH put out a request for information, which was basically we, we went out to all the mainstream and assistive technology companies in the 
in in the in the world, if you will, and ask them to sort of peel back the curtain and walk us through some of their deep dark secrets in their labs of what they're working on. And Humanware had a partnership uh, with Dot Incorporated out of South Korea, and they had been working for a number of years to really optimize their Braille cell for today's Braille users. Many of you may be familiar with Dot from the original Dot Watch, which here in the States didn't do very well because the pins on the Dot Watch and the cells were far too close together and the pins didn't feel like standard Braille pins. And so Humanware had been working with them to optimize their Braille cell to feel more like today's sort of piezoelectric cells that you feel on your, your standard Braille displays. So Humanware did a presentation to APH showing us what such a sort of holy braille project could look like. And we ended up creating a partnership with Humanware and Dot to basically create this next generation all-in-one braille tablet. And the device or the, the, the key functionality of this device is to basically take a textbook that today can take, you know, we, I always use the, the numbers of uh, an algebra uh, one textbook that we did back in 2021. That's the numbers that I, I have. It took 13 months to produce, cost nearly $30,000, and the student ended up not even getting it on time to, to, for their semester. It was over 40 volumes with the graphics actually being in a separate volume from the rest of the, the text. So we said, we can, we can improve on this, this yeah. situation. And it was one of those reality checks where I think Karen and Peter and I all kind of have this reality check. We're back where when we were blind students in the education system, it's one of these things where it's like, wow, I mean, in my case, it was over 20 years ago that these kids are still doing things the same way. And we said, you know, with today's technology, we can we can improve on this. So that's where we are today. The, the Monarch is a tactile display that can create its 10 lines of 32 cells of standard Braille, but the pins are also equidistant apart. So you can create similar tactile graphics to what you would feel in a, a standard textbook. And then to, to kind of jump in quickly, I mean, Karen encapsulated that in an article in Future Reflections. For those who read Future Reflections can read exactly kind of how she, she put all of this into words um, and describing what, what Greg just went through and, and then threw in some of the personal pieces of those struggles of that Braille reading student carrying all those volumes around, um, you know, having to keep one hand on one page and another on somewhere else to try and find the graphics and so on. So uh, that's another, another place to kind of refer uh, back to, to what it is we're doing. That also went up on our blog for World Braille Day, which was really very exciting for me to have that featured, but I think more exciting for the monarch. I think people are starting to really realize what a game changer this is going to be. And so getting to see that, I mean, I think we in the Federation have known that, but I think our members are starting to believe that it's going to actually come true. And that's really, really exciting. Yeah, I think honestly, what what you just said, Karen, the the, the belief that it's really going to come true, and that's that's something that we had to in sort of the year of coming out of COVID hideaway, if you will, in 2021, when we started traveling again. Ann Durham, our, our VP of uh, Innovation and Strategy at, at at APH, and I started traveling probably before many people did, and we sort of called it our Prove It Tour, where. That's when we first visited, I think, with the, the National Federation of the Blind. And we had a really, really early prototype of just the display, not even the device, right? It was just the pin technology. And we realized early on that this promise had been made to this field for so long from startups or early tech companies that were building tech for the sake of building tech. They weren't looking to solve a problem. And they were just saying, look at this cool technology we have. I bet you we can, t we can make a tactile display out of it. But 
there have been so many promises made to this field. And I think, you know, for the first year of our travel, or at least eight months, it was just going to show people that the technology really worked mm-hmm. and, and that we really could put graphics with Braille labels on them and actually make it feel like the page of a textbook. And that was an uphill battle because of all of the the unfulfilled promises that have been made ahead of us. And so getting to this point now where people are starting to kind of turn their heads a little bit and say, maybe this is going to happen, I think is a, a, a huge testament to not only this group's resilience, but also the partnerships that we've made prior to going out and saying, this is going to be a product. What we did in the, in the sort of back of the houses, getting over 30 blindness organizations and mainstream organizations on the same page to say, if we do this, we need all of your support because at least at the beginning, because of the cost and because of the the development efforts and things like that, there can only be one of these things Mm -hmm. that can start. And then our hope is down the road, once we have one that has set the standard, then you'll start seeing competition. But, you know, getting these partnerships of over 30 organizations was crucial in being able to all sort of speak from the same hymnal of this is really going to happen. We all kind of are vouching for it. And and then, you know, as time pro- progressed, we've been able to kind of get more people's hands on it to, to actually create that in-person belief, if you will. Well, I'm a person that got to, to uh, get my hands on it in October at annual meeting. And uh, it, it kind of blew me away. Like you said, I think we've all thought this was coming for a long time. And so to actually see it in real life and experience it, it's pretty incredible. Now, another big piece of this is um, something called EBRF. So uh, explain what that is, because I've also heard like that is just as groundbreaking, perhaps, as the device itself. Yeah, I mean, I think so, because it's one thing to put together hardware, and I think we've seen proof that the hardware can be made. I mean, many of us, I think all of us have gotten our hands on the alpha unit, so the hardware exists, but if you don't have a format that actually can utilize the hardware to its fullest extent, if you can't navigate through that 26 volume algebra book or however many volumes it was more easily than just like display by display this wonderful expensive beautiful multi-line device that can also show pictures isn't going to get us anywhere it's just going to be a paperweight yep so So, i'm not paging through all that i don't know about you (laughs) no well exactly and so so in summation what what ebrf seeks to do is it it takes your traditional BRF file, which today, when you open a BRF or a Braille-ready formatted file, when you open a BRF file, it is simply a gigantic text file, essentially. It's, it's lots and lots of text characters, ASCII characters here in the States. What happens is when you open that, there's no navigability in that document. What we're trying to do, what eBRF is, is going to make feasible is the ability to navigate Braille files, just like you would navigate EPUB files or a web page, or think of navigable elements like pages, chapters, being able to actually read a table of contents and go to the linked chapter that is being referenced, being able to encounter a graphic and have a, a unique symbol that says, hey, instead of refer to figure 4.2 and then needing to pull out your supplemental graphics index or flip 38 pages ahead to the end of the chapter where the graphic may be, you're just going to be able to double tap and pull that graphic up and move back and forth between your key and your graphic or between that page of text you were reading and your graphic. So EBRF illustrates 
that we are not just building a shiny device. And that's why all three of us are here. I mean, it's a tripartite piece. Humanware has traditionally built superb Braille hardware. We are very Braille centric. We do, we've done that for the better part of of two decades, if uh, longer than that, almost more than three decades. APH is the king and queen and royalty of textbook production here in the United States. And the NFB is the voice of the largest organized blind movement in the world. And so we're all in this simultaneously to, to push all of this forward. And when we look at EBRF, it is not just built for this device. EBRF, and Greg referenced 30 different organizations who are a part of this working group. EBRF is, is going to be controlled by the DAISY Consortium as it's developed as a standard. EBRF will benefit anybody using a Braille device moving forward. It's for all of our users, not just somebody using a Monarch. It's, it's for somebody using any Braille display, uh, you know, a Braille translator. Think of Duxbury and other, other uh you know, Braille translation tools. EBRF is going to benefit the community at large. And that's why it's not being handled by humanware. It's not being handled by, you know, strictly by the NFB or by APH. It's being controlled by this very large organic working group uh, with members all over the world, including India and Austria, and the UK and the United States and, and lots of other places where, you know, we're ensuring that this standard, is, it's a new file standard, will be accepted universally and will benefit all, all Braille readers uh, who are reading digital or electronic Braille files. The reason I say it's it's bigger than the hardware is traditionally changing anything in Braille standards wise is is a very very lengthy process to to say that we are you know I'm not I'm not going to speak out of turn when I say we're potentially 18 months away from the first version of this standard and having started it you know less than two years ago I think is a, a really great testament to the way that the world can work together towards a common goal and getting all of these organizations. And it was really interesting because when we did the original reach out to all of these organizations, almost all of them had something like this in the works. They had tried it. They had written a white paper about it. There was, you know, but they all said the same thing, which is, this is a really hard problem and we are happy to help you with it. They, there was a lot of folks who didn't want to, to, sort of take this problem by the horns and go for it. And neither did APH, quite honestly. We, I, I didn't get into APH in 2020 and say, you know what I want to do? I want to build a Braille standard. That's what I want to do. <laughs> just, <for laughs> just, a thing. just a little thing, just a fun, for funsies. <laughs> um, I, it's, it was one of those things that had to happen to, to bring Braille technology to the next level. And that's something that I've, I've been very blessed to, to work with an amazing team at APH and, and to have this group of partners worldwide. This wouldn't be happening if I, if I didn't do a shout out to, to William Freeman at APH. Yeah, William is instrumental in this. And you should see, if you ever want to do some light reading, uh, we can float the white paper over to you, Emily. It's, it's just so easy to consume. Um, yeah, maybe we'll put that as like the supplemental or supplementary material for this podcast and just yeah, throw they it They can there. read the EPRF white paper. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. It is, there is so much work that goes into this that I'm a Braille reader, Greg's a Braille reader, Karen's Braille reader. We read Braille. Uh, we don't know the semantics and, and everything that goes into a lot of this. I've learned more about Braille rules as a, than, than, than I've known in a long, you know, that I've ever learned. I've, I, it, it is, uh, it's fascinating how much goes into developing something like this. And it is really, really, it's amazing that we're able to do this. I um, mean, it, and it really will, you know, ensure the longevity, both of the product and just of Braille being modernized for our digital world. And that is, uh, that's no small feat. And Williams absolutely deserves lots of accolades for what he's been able to do. 
and I, I will say that, like, I think Peter mentioned this, it's not just for the Monarch. This is going to affect any electronic Braille device. It's going to affect Braille translators. We've had meetings with Duxbury, uh, making sure that in the long run, you're going to be able to save as eBRF in Duxbury rather than just save as BRF or any other file type like that. You know, making sure that the, the embosser manufacturers are on board so that you can emboss a, an, an eBRF where graphics are, are already in the right place, especially if you have an embosser that can do graphics and, uh, and Braille at the same time. And like I said, of course, your, your electronic Braille displays, right? Right now, when you get, you know, I always use the examples. There's two competing examples. If you get a BRF today, you get that wall of Braille or that, that, that text file of Braille where the best you can do is with, a, with an electronic device, you can do a, a search for specific words to try to jump throughout that file, right? And if you search for the word COM, right? And you try to, you said you're trying to get to the first occurrence, you may get every occurrence of COM. But here, you're going to be able to, to jump by page, chapter, all those things. But it's today, the only comparable thing in a refreshable Braille display that we have is a DAISY text file. And when you use a DAISY text file, like a Bookshare file, yes, you can navigate chapter by chapter and page by page. But all of that Braille formatting, what I would say, the, the, the integrity of Braille is lost. You don't have tables, you don't have alignment changes. You don't have any of those things present. It's all sort of just this one long string of, of Braille. I, uh, yeah, just yesterday we had an assembly here on campus for celebrating Louis Braille's birthday and just the history of Braille. And the students were asking questions and like three students were asking about what's the future of Braille in the digital age. And I wish we had had this conversation before <laughs> because listening to you, it's like exactly, you know, it's like even our students, they don't know what they're looking for, but they know what they have is not good enough and not meeting their needs. And so they're always wanting to know like, what's the next thing coming for us that's going to make life better. Yep. Yep. And um so where like you said 18 months about is that for the for ebrf to be ready to go to the masses or is that for the monarch or what timelines are we looking at here so where we are right now is we're expecting right now we have literally two alpha units in the entire world uh have peter one has sitting under my hands right now uh, <laughs> peter one has one mine <laughs> mine got sent to louisville so i don't have one mm. uh so we have two units in the world in March, we're expecting a small shipment of our first beta units. And we're expecting around 100 beta units that will come in sort of in waves from March all the way through October, right? And of those units, we're going to be using them. So with APH, obviously, we're obligated by the federal government to run through field testing with students in the classroom. And so our hope is to start doing field testing uh, in the, the, the fall semester. And yes, Emily, you've already put in your request for TSVDI to be a part of that. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so our hope is to take some of those units and do uh, field testing throughout the, the United States. We've had a number of organizational partners that have requested to do beta testing. We have a number of teachers that want to do beta testing. We also have a number of folks here at APH who are building curriculum for this device. So this year is what I would call sort of the year of experiencing and the year of testing. Next year, in the spring semester, what we're doing is something that APH has never done before. And that is that we're using the funds from the Center of Accessibility Testing and Training, which is sort of a, a subset of APH funds, to actually purchase 
around 200 units that we're going to be using to throughout the United States put on regional workshops and curriculum trainings for teachers. So before the product even goes on quota or goes onto the APH catalog, our goal is to train 200 teachers throughout the United States. And for participating in these trainings, you will receive a Monarch as your own device for the teacher. We're using this really novel concept of if you teach the teachers ahead of time and let them to have a device under their fingertips that they can experience, prior to the student getting the device, it's possible that the student may <laughs> may, may be taught the device a little bit faster and, and come up to speed better. So in the fall of 24 is when we expect the product to actually go on sale. So we're doing all of this legwork ahead of time, these trainings, these curriculum building ahead of time to make sure that the teacher is comfortable with the device because it is, it is such a new concept of teaching that we felt that if we just put the device on quota or put it on the, on the APH catalog and said to the teachers, here, here's this entirely new device, right? The fear would kick in and you would start to see this gatekeeping of devices that would kind of be generated from the teacher being afraid. And that's something that we've seen with some of our computer science tools and things like that as well. So making sure that the teacher feels comfortable and that they're familiar with the ways to teach this because you're teaching concepts, you know, Peter always calls these the trippy concepts, right? You're teaching concepts like zooming in and out of graphics and panning around graphics, things that blind students just don't generally know how to do. I think we're also going to be rewiring some of our neuro pathways and teachers are going to be dealing with that with their blind students as well. Um, it's not even so much that we don't know the concepts that we don't, but blind students, literally those pathways in, in our brains haven't been created in terms of how to deal with graphics, how to zoom in and out. What does something look like? We've had if we're lucky, we've had tactile graphics experience, but this is going to be a little different. This is going to put more tactile graphics and ideally more complex tactile graphics at our fingertips, hopefully earlier. But we don't know how to teach that yet. We're still working on how to teach that. And so I think the work that we're all going to do to make sure that teachers are comfortable with the device and with the ways to teach that is going to be really important because otherwise the teachers and the students are going to get overwhelmed and it's going to be a brick. There was a teacher that told me there was a stat that she quoted that on average, the average TVI teaches 15 to 25 graphics a year. And this is going to have a direct connection to the tactile graphics image library. So in the tactile viewer, you'll be able to do a search and you could search for any atom, you could search for any you know map that's available in the TGIL, right? So now immediately you go from having 15 to 25 graphics in a year to being able to say, we've opened up the world of 17,000 graphics that a kid could just search at any point and say, I wonder what this looks like. I wonder what the Eiffel Tower looks like. I wonder what, you know, any of that. And that will be available instantaneously for them to, to review. So it, you know, people say that this is a game changer, but it, <laughs> you, you go from 25 or 15 to 17,000. It is, it is a, a, a level of magnitude so different. That just blows my mind thinking that they're going to have access like a student can independently access so many tactile graphics that they can actually become proficient on their own yeah. instead of waiting for a teacher or somebody else to get it to them. I mean, that's amazing. I, I think that that's going to be something that's going to be a shift for our teachers too. 
um, and for our students. Our students are really used to waiting for things to be put in front of them. Mm -hmm. Our teachers are used to waiting, you know, being the ones who put everything in front of the students. And it's a very planned thing. And so I think getting teachers comfortable with the idea that, hey, my students can do this and this is a good thing. And getting students comfortable with the fact that I can go and search this and I can find what I want and I don't have to wait for someone to put it in front of me. That's going to be really powerful, but that's going to be a little bit of a culture shift. Yeah. And and what's also really important here is we are in no way, shape or form replacing a Brailleist. We need the Brailleist. We are not here to, at launch especially, I mean, you're not just going to do a Google image search for uh, the state of Texas and pull one down and, and explore and zoom in and look at the streets of Austin. That's not feasible mm-hmm. and, and, and by any means. Um, we're looking to show existing tactile graphics. And with that being said, the other piece is, you know, let's say you, you, you are able to get into the, to the tactile graphics image library and you pull something down and it, it's good. You know, there, there's still a need for that real-time exposure or creation of graphics that can be done by the Brailleist and sent right to the device. I, I, I know that this is, you know, certainly with any of these types of products, when we start to open a new frontier, there's always a fear. Um, and I, I get this with a lot of our GPS products. Uh, you know, I get this with a lot of various Braille products and automation and connectivity. There's a fear that this or a device is going to replace a profession or somehow degrade that profession. And that's, that's just not the case. It's simply not the case. Um, you know, we're looking to just make that delivery, the vehicle where the student or, or the, the, the user can get that information more uh, efficient. That's it. Because right now that method, it tends to take time. And we, as we know, in today's world, uh, we don't have unlimited time. You know, we, we need to keep up with our peers. We need to keep up with all of those around us. And so the more connected or fluid we can make the processes, uh, the better. And I would also say maybe we're going to, hopefully we're going to create a need for more Braillists. Um, if that's something that people want to do, I don't <laughs> think that profession's going away anytime yeah, tactile soon. tactile graphics artists are, are in demand already. And, and we see that just with STEM content, with a lot of these things. And I think Karen's absolutely right. It's uh, and it's going to just like refreshable Braille, put more Braille under everybody's fingertips. Um, you can read the New York times every day now with a Braille display. There was a time where that would have just been completely unthinkable to read the New York times every day in Braille. Now you're going to be able to look at tactile graphics right under your fingertips. The it's an exponential increase to access. And so we're going to need more materials when you have more, you know, more, more folks being able to, to, utilize this technology. So it's definitely a great point uh, that Karen's bringing up. Well, and we, and we've seen too, like with, with mainstream new technology that's come, came out. I mean, remember like when the Kindle came out and they were like, books are going away. <laughs> they just, they <laughs> right. never did. Um, no. You know, I think that you make so many good points about how the technology is a game changer, but there still is going to need to be people to help with the education. So then those students don't maybe need a Braillist when they're adults and they can access what they need. Exactly. You know, like- because today the reality is if if I want something in Braille, I'm either going to find it on a website or I'm going to have to try, you know, to, to get it created somewhere. It, it's not an easy process as an adult. I'm not speaking to um, the, the education sure. side. Sure. And this, a device like this over time, as we start to build up, you know, what, what we can extrapolate from an image and various filters and things we can put in place very realistically, there could be a day in the, in the near future where I can do an, a Google image search of the 
TSBVI campus and I can pull that down and actually explore the campus in real time to know what it's going to be and when I get there. And that's just something every single sighted person takes for granted uh, who has access to a smartphone or a tablet. Everybody. You're able to say, oh, wow, yeah, look, it's right by, uh, you know, this wonderful, this sandwich place is right down the street. I'll probably stop there on my way home or or whatever, or on my way after the, the conference I'm at. And we just can't do that. And so those kind of implications are definitely big picture, but are becoming more realistic when you start to bring in this kind of technology and, and access. And I think that's, you know, that's the, the piece we always want to keep in mind. We have this, Greg, Greg calls it the North Star of this project, which is at launch to recreate that textbook experience, which is phenomenal. I think the, uh, the further North Star, the Mount Everest, um, but what ultimately that would be though, to not only, you know, to go beyond what's beyond textbooks. And, and there is a lot that we can do um, after that kind of textbook recreation. That's great. Is there anything else you want to add today or anything else folks should know? My, my big thing, and Peter and Greg know this because I talk about this all the time, but I am really optimistic in terms of what this is going to do for Braille literacy um, and Braille fluency for our kids um, and for for blind people in general, but especially our kids. I see so many blind kids who are only reading with one finger on one hand. And that behavior is really easy to encourage when you're on a single line braille display. As a decent braille reader myself, I read on a braille display, but I read very differently on a single line display than I do on a hard copy braille book. And my fluency is not nearly as good because when you are reading hard copy braille. You start at the top, you have both hands together, you run your hands across the page, but when you get about half to two thirds of the way across the page, your left hand drops down and finds that next line of braille to get ready to start reading and your right hand finishes the page and we call it the butterfly method. And you can't do that on a braille display. I can't drop my hand down and start reading because there's nothing to drop down to. And I can't advance the line before I'm done reading the whole line because the braille display doesn't have that capability. So I think people are used to thinking of braille as really slow and inefficient and whatever. And certainly people can be fluent braille readers on the current displays, but I really, really hope that this will encourage um, better braille reading techniques and better braille fluency and will help dispel some of the myths about braille being so slow. Yeah, and if you didn't put the pieces together, Karen was pretty much responsible for the naming of the monarch because the first time that we showed Karen a prototype of this with 10 lines of Braille on it, the first thing out of her mouth is, oh my gosh, I can use the butterfly method. And Anne and I looked at each other at that moment and we're like, that's it, that's the name. Like we, <laughs> So then we started going through types of butterflies and monarch was the first one that made the most sense. Love that, that's great. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. If you're like me, you're dying to get the Monarch in the hands of your students. I feel like teachers and students will be clamoring for these devices like the world clamored for Taylor Swift tickets. From the TSBBI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. 
This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.